A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 445. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Noggin the Nog. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. We are talking about another small films stop animated series. This one was from the BBC, initially ran from 1959 to 1965, and came back in 1982 for a while. So 21 10-minute episodes in the original black and white run. And then in the 80s, we had six color episodes. And this was the story of a mythical king of the Northmen and his fantasy adventures with dragons, flying machines, a talking bird, and more. Indeed it is. And it gives us a very welcome to me chance to talk yet again about the work of Oliver Postgate, Peter Furman, and we're going to be talking about Vernon Elliott as well, the small films team that we've come to love quite a bit over the last couple of years of looking at them. I'll note that it appears the title appears on the opening screens as the saga of Noggin the Nog, but I think it's known nearly everywhere as just Noggin the Nog. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. And I will mention that if you hadn't realized, this was a children's series. Very much so, yes. So, the setup. Listen, and I'll tell you in the lands of the north, where the black rocks stand guard against the cold sea and the nights are very long, the men of the north Northlands sit by their great log fires and they tell a tale. That's the startup, Horace Bright. Yes, indeed. And Noggin the Nog is the good-natured son of King Knut and Queen Grunhilda. Not especially bright, but very kindly and well-intentioned, and is the center of these stories. When his father dies, Noggin must take a wife in order to rule and become king so he can have a queen beside him, which apparently is required. Otherwise, his evil uncle, Nogbad the Bad, would take over as king instead. And this leads him to the frozen north, we believe even further north, to find his queen and to become king of the Nogs. And on that journey to become King of the Nogs and the adventures he's going to have after that, he's going to need the help of close friends, advisors, inventors, and some strange, fantastical creatures and people to get him through what's to come. Yes, absolutely. So we've mentioned some of them already, but a quick run through the central characters. We have, of course, the title character, Nog in the Nog, as you described in Brian, the King of the Nogs kind wise not the brightest but he is he is our sort of lead character and probably the most likable character that we'll meet here yes absolutely he is meant to be very relatable compared to the other characters 
Queen Nuka of the Nukes is his queen from somewhere else in the north. And in the early part of this, she enters things and marries Noggin and the two of them become king and queen. We've also mentioned a wicked uncle, Nogbad the Bad. The clue is in the title, I think, Brian. I think the kindest thing to say about the character of Nogbad the Bad is that he is a pantomime-style villain. Exceedingly so, I think, Brian. Yes. If you're imagining a cartoon villain, you're probably pretty close to Nogbad the Bad. Thor Nogson is Noggin's friend and is captain of the Royal Guard, loyal but somewhat nervous and not quite the fierce warrior that he says he is. There's some fun to be had about the nervousness of Thor Nogson, who's supposed to be a mighty warrior but it seems quite reluctant to get into uh, a lot of situations. They do have some humour about that, yes. Also quite fun, and here we get to some of the fantasy elements, is Graculus a large green talking bird who comes to visit Noggin early on to tell him of Queen Nuka of the Nukes and who will become a guide and an advisor and quite a brave assistant to Noggin. He becomes a regular character, Graculus, and uh, it's quite fun. Yes, Graculus may be one of the highlights of this show, in fact. Olaf the Lofty is a cord inventor who is a genius at inventing things, but may lack sense in other ways and is not especially wise. Indeed, yes. We'll, we'll talk about some of his madcap inventions as we go along. Of course. And I'll say that for the first six episodes, all the voices were done by Oliver Postgate. But later on, I think when the BBC picked up the rest of it, their regular sort of actor and friend of the team, Ronnie Stevens, starts turning up to do some of the extra voices. And later on, their friend Sandra Kerr, the folk singer, will also come along, I think, to do a little bit of Queen Nuka. Yes, that's right. And I'll also mention that these are narrated stories. So you have Oliver Postgate doing the introduction that you read and doing some narration throughout as well. So in the Northlands, we we have, as I say, the first six episode series, the initial run of series that they produced for the BBC, is about Noggin's difficulties finding a wife, which he must do, or Nogbad will become king in his place, and his difficult journey to the frozen north to find Nuka of the Nukes, a journey that was going to take them several episodes of rather tricky and difficult sailing. Fortunately, they are at least some of the time guided by Graculus, but they manage to make, well, they have a tricky voyage, Brian, and they encounter some at least one or two strange creatures on their way. Yes, that's right. There are always, you know, your cliffhangers uh, for the end of each 10 minute episode. And they continue in four more black and white serialized adventures. We have Noggin and his friend encountering an ice dragon. 
them. And also one of these inventions is a flying machine. So they try out this flying machine and do things with that. They use it and also sailing ships to venture out further into the world. And the cast of characters expands bit by bit to include Grolof the dragon, this ice dragon, and Ring from the Hot Water Valley, and eventually Nogata Nuka's son, Knut. So some fun stuff to be had in the series Nogging the Nog, but possibly for us, Brian, even of more interest is, as ever, the production notes behind a small film's production. Always entertaining. So let us return to the almost literal cottage industry of small films and the works of Oliver Postgate and Peter Furman. At this time, working out of the converted cowshed on Peter Furman's farm near Canterbury in Kent in England... And in the timeline of their productions, particularly for ones that we have covered, this comes just after the original Ivor the Engine from 1959. And then it's going to be before a series we haven't done yet, Pogel's Wood, but also quite a while before Clangers and Bagpuss, which we have covered. Yeah, this was their first production for the BBC. And the inspiration for the series came from a number of different places. Both Postgate and Furman were struck by the Lewis Chessman, a distinctive set of chess pieces carved from ivory figures from the 12th century. They saw those at the British Museum. I will mention that there are also some of the Lewis Chessmen in the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh, where I saw them there. I think most people will be familiar with the fact that the British Museum has a lot of stuff from other countries that it seems fairly intent on hanging on to, Brian. Yes, things often obtained under questionable circumstances, to say the least. Absolutely. In his memoir, Seeing Things, Oliver Postgate wrote that they were both struck by how these figures did not look warlike, as we think of chess pieces maybe looking looking like, but they actually looked sort of kindly and thoroughly dismayed by the prospect of contest. In Postgate's words. And you can see how that comes across in Noggin and Thornogson in particular. Yes. Um, Now, we also know from the Seeing Things memoir from Oliver Postgate, which I have read since our last uh, Small Films episodes, Brian, um, Peter Furman's daughter Hannah was very taken at the time with a 1922 silent film called Nanook of the North, which is a film about Inuit culture. And it was shown on British TV. And thanks to the Radio Times Genome Project, I'm able to identify that it was shown on the 26th of October 1958, 5.15 as a matter of fact, on the BBC. And that seems to fit in with our timeline for this production of uh, Nog in the Nog. And Hannah Furman, who was four at the time, would basically was running around insisting that she was a little nook, uh, like the nook of the north. And this obviously stuck with Peter Furman. Interesting. And then one day he's on the London Underground looking at the map and he notices the station name Neesden. Seems fairly sort of like ordinary until suddenly this word noggin jumped into Peter Furman's head. So we have his daughter, a 
obsessed with the look of the north we have this name jumping into peter Furman's head and he obviously goes to oliver postgate with this idea and they come up with nog in the nog between them and originally conceived the story as a one-off puppet film which they were going to do live to camera and they pitched this to ITV, who they were working for at the time, but ITV didn't like this. And so they went away and had another look and thought they could make it into a short series of animations. Yes. Yeah, so Oliver Postgate wrote the script and the BBC agreed to a small budget for them to make six episodes. It was £100 an episode, which seems quite remarkable now that anything could be produced at that type of budget a hundred pounds yes <laughs> wouldn't get us a draw in there well yes and peter Furman drew the characters and the backdrops and this like ivor the engine was a stop motion paper drawn film using this 16 millimeter bolex camera and these very long filming sessions where they'd be going frame by frame, adjusting these paper cutouts, backgrounds and characters to make the next frame each time, presumably for British television going to 25 frames per second. And Furman also drew multiple heads and multiple sets of limbs for the characters so they could switch them around quickly in order to get facial expressions, walking, different types of movements. And on top of this, they need some way of holding the figures onto the backdrops when they're moving around and getting ready to take the next frame. But it needs to be some way that's sort of quick and easy to move and swap things, as you say, Brian. As far as I can tell, they were using bits of window putty and gum to hold things in place. In his memoir, Oliver Postgate notes that blue tack revolutionised this process, but that doesn't turn up until the 1970s. Before then, they were rather struggling to stop pieces of paper moving around, I think. I never thought we would look at a television production where the innovation of blue tack was a major, a major influence. This was often something you'd use to put posters on the wall and this sort of thing. Yeah, when the series comes back in the 80s, blue tack had made it so much easier, apparently. Fantastic. Now, I'm going to take us a little bit into the music of the series because we once again, come across their frequent collaborator Vernon Elliott a character that I really didn't know about before we started doing these episodes Brian but it seems like a fascinating chap a musician a composer a conductor who was part of Benjamin Britten's regulars in his opera company who conducted the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra who was a professor of music at Trinity College in London who was also, the Wikipedia page tells me, was a very keen skier, sailor, and a beekeeper. He had a fascinating life, it seems, Brian. That certainly sounds like a remarkable career in music. It's great stuff. And, of course, here he is writing the music for this series, most of which he performs himself on the bassoon, his signature instrument. But it also features... Initially, his daughter Bridget playing clarinet, and then later on it becomes credited to the Vernon Elliott Ensemble. And I also noticed there's a little bit more work, I think, for Vernon Elliott's local choir, where there's some choral moments that I presume he recorded, much like he did for Ivor the Engine. Yes, 
not intended to be a Welsh choir and slightly different sound, but yeah, very much on the same idea. So it's got this wonderful bassoon music and clarinet music um, by Vernon Elliott and his family. We've got Oliver Postgate writing the script, Peter Furman's doing all the illustration, obviously, and then Oliver Postgate, as he did for the small films productions, did the narration and initially did the character voices, particularly for the first six episodes. And that original run of six episodes started broadcasting on the BBC September 11th, 1959. It would go on to win the BBC's inaugural Telecine Awards for the best children's program of the year. Now, this is mentioned in Oliver Postgate's memoir, and I tried to find out a bit more about these awards as far as I can tell, Brian, they were sort of folded into the BAFTAs, which of course are much better known now at the British Academy of Film and Television. So that's probably where they ended up. But yes, it did win an award, uh, the inaugural award of the Telecine Best Children's Programme. Yeah, that's quite something. And after the BBC saw those first six episodes, they asked for more. So Postgate and Furman came up with more adventures and produced another 15 black and white episodes divided into separate serials. And those ran on the BBC until 1965. And I don't know what the budget was for those episodes the quality seems to improve in terms of the animation and i think they get mm, ronnie stevens can then come in and do some of the voices and vernon elliott uh, i think moves to the ensemble for the music so presumably slightly more than the hundred pound an episode price yeah so we get more woodwinds on the soundtrack rather than just the two they of course also would later return with a color series in the 1980s 1982 they did a remake of the Ice Dragon story in colour and then they had a new story Noggin and the Pie between them it's six episodes in colour in 1982 Ronnie Stevens is back doing some of the voices and I think this is where Sandra Kerr also, who'd previously collaborated with them on Bagpuss, I think she did voices for, uh, or the voice of Queen Nuka at this point. Yes, absolutely. And there may have been an effort to try to bring Nog and the Nog back in the 1990s sometime, but that did not happen. So that's the history of this show. Um, let's talk about availability. In Region 2, you can get Get the DVD set to the sagas of Nog in the Nog featuring all the episodes that we've been talking about. It is only available from small films themselves, or rather from their, their shop, which is at dragons-friendly-society.co.uk, where you can get a DVD set for £28. Now, Brian, that's that's all regions, I think, is it? Yes, that's a region zero release, so it's all regions, and you can play it on DVD players that are not region two capable. Excellent stuff. Now, it also features a booklet about the series which was written by Postgate and Furman themselves I gather and also on the DVDs you'll find they've got stories that were in eight storybooks about Noggin the Nog the storybooks are read by Oliver Postgate and set to the music of Vernon Elliott I believe they recorded those in 2005 for this DVD set now in region one 
There is no separate release, but you can still order that All Regions DVD set from Small Films. There are some books as well. We'll talk about that more next time. But many of those are available and there are copies you can find uh, of those online. Great stuff. So please come back and join us for the second part of our exploration of the saga of Noggin the Nog. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the other stories that uh, happen in the following um, episodes. We'll get into some of those spin-offs, which we always like to cover where they exist for the shows we cover on British Invaders. We're also going to touch upon some slightly more problematic elements of the show that perhaps haven't aged as well as they perhaps intended. They look a bit strange to modernise. But that's some stuff to talk about when we come back. And of course, we will try and put Noggin the Nog in some sort of order with the other small films productions that we have covered so far. Very good. Lots of interesting things to talk about next time. Until then, you can find all of our episodes, including a number of small films-related ones, at BritishInvaders.com. And if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there. Join in on some of the conversations. You can also follow us on threads and on Instagram, where we are at British underscore invaders underscore podcast. Yes, give us a follow and let us know what uh, you're watching and also keep up to date with our latest releases and our upcoming shows. And come along to the Voice of Geeks Network, where you'll find British Invaders as one of the podcasts there, but they also have lots of gaming content, Twitch streaming and the like. You'll find that by pointing your browser at vognetwork.com for the Voice of Geeks. Please do. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, it's Eamon in England also signing off. <laughs>